Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm excited to welcome alum and Seed Foundation Project Manager, Shashank Chahan, to the show. Hey, Marissa. Uh, Great to be here and great to join you. Uh, Looking forward to discussing uh, some stuff with you. So, Yeah, we're so excited to have you on the podcast, especially, you know, this month we're really focusing in on the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And I know a lot of students have a lot of questions about where their degrees are going to take them um, in this college. So I am so excited to have you here today. Um, And I'd love to actually start by just learning a little bit more about you. So if you don't mind, share with us a little bit of your kind of educational slash career pathway and how that led you to the Seed Foundation. Right. Um, So I did my undergrad at uh, Utah State uh, Political Science, Um, graduated in 2012, uh, and then went off to law school at the University of Oregon. Um, And at the University of Oregon, they had a a program, uh, a joint degree program, essentially, where I could do my JD, my law degree, and a master's in conflict and dispute resolution. Uh, And so I chose that path. Um, I was really interested during the political science period at Utah State, really interested in international politics, specifically Middle East politics. Um, It was, you know, during high school, when I was in high school, was the peak of the Iraq invasion and the Iraq war. Uh, So I was very, you know, interested already and sort of familiar with things. And I think uh, Utah State really it gave me an opportunity in the political science department to really start exploring some of these uh, areas or topics I was interested in. So I wanted to um, so I wanted to go to law school, uh, but I also wanted to continue that side of my uh, professional interests. Uh, and the master's program really uh, helped me or gave me that opportunity at the University of Oregon. Um, and so even with the law side of things, I focused on international law and human rights. Um, again, focusing on Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern issues um, right around the time uh, that was around the time when the Syrian civil war had started. So I was uh, working on papers regarding that. And then for the master's thesis, I focused on the conflict that was ongoing at that time in Yemen. Um, and so it was a very heavy focus on the Middle East, uh, was you know connecting with people who were also interested in the same stuff as I was. Um, and then after graduation, um, I, I I came back to Utah, started working in politics. Uh, my goal, my initial goal after graduation was to try to get a position in D.C. Uh, with one of the major foreign policy think tanks. And, you know, the, fir- the biggest, you know, thought I had was, you know, I would become one of the researchers or like an analyst for one of these think tanks. And that would be, you know, that would be my entry into the world of, uh, you know, international affairs and foreign policy. Uh, Lo and behold, uh, as, you know, time went on, one of my good friends from law school, she uh, got a position in Iraq, in Baghdad, with a national NGO. And we had been in touch the whole time um, post-graduation. And at one point, she, she, she knew that I was looking for positions in D.C. and I was applying for things. And she's, she asked me, she's like, why don't you just apply for a position here in Baghdad? Um, you know, they had a position open and she was like, yeah, I could recommend you. And I was like, 
you know, I, I never pictured myself in the international sort of sphere like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was very hesitant, a bit nervous also. I was like, you know, how can I, how can I land up in the Middle East? I don't know the language, barely understand the culture. Uh, you know, I've read all these books about the <laughs> Middle East, but that doesn't give me yeah. you know, any sort of expertise to really go there. Uh, but she kept insisting. And so I was like, okay, fine. You know, worst case, let me just apply. It doesn't hurt to apply. Right. Most likely they won't uh, accept my application or they won't take me off on uh, for the position, but I'll apply. So I applied. And a couple of weeks later, I get an email saying, hey, we would like to interview you. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, one interview is fine. Right. Definitely not going to get the second one. So I do the first interview a week later. They're like, all right, we're really interested. We'd like to interview you again for the second interview. And by that time, I was pretty much set that they were not going to accept me. I, I was like, okay, fine. You've reached the furthest you're going to get here. So I was like, okay, I'll do the second interview, uh, finish the interview, and pretty much was set that fine. I mean, it was a great experience. I got to talk to these people, but it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to come out of it. Again, you know, two and a half weeks later, job offer on the table. Uh, we'd like to have you come to Baghdad in a month or so. And, you know, are you willing to take this offer? And at that point, it felt very much like my world had just completely shifted because I was very much in line or thinking that I would be working on the domestic side of things, that I would be sitting in D.C. The furthest I was thinking was that you know, maybe I would get an opportunity to work within the U.S. government and I would have a position which would allow me to travel internationally, but I would be based in D.C. Never did I think that I would be working in international humanitarian aid. Never did I think I would be working in a field position like in Iraq. But with the opportunity, with, you know, what it presented, I was like, okay, let's just throw caution to the wind and let's just go for it. Um, And so, yeah, so that's how I basically ended up in Iraq. Um, in 2018. And then I was in Iraq from 2018, October of 2018 to August of 2020. And then, you know, because of COVID and everything, I came back to the US for about a year and then was reapplying and everything. And now I'm back uh, to Iraq again uh, with a new organization and a new position. So. Wow. What a cool experience and journey. And I am super excited. I did just a teeny bit of research uh, before our conversation today about your current company, the Seed Foundation. And I would actually love to have you just give like a snapshot of what this organization does, because it is so cool. Yeah. So Seed Foundation, they are a locally registered NGO. Uh, They're based in Erbil in northern Iraq. Um, And the in Iraq, I mean, northern Iraq, there's a region it's called the Kurdistan region of Iraq, and that's where uh, Erbil is, the city of, of Erbil. And so we're based here in Kurdistan. Um, and the NGO, although local, uh, they operate very much like an international NGO would. Um, so our main uh, donor uh, for most of our projects is the U.S. government. Our executive director is actually has worked extensively with the U.S. State Department. Um, she has 15 plus experience with the U.S. State Department, including stints uh, in Iraq and Baghdad during the time of like right after the uh, Iraq invasion, when the U.S. government was trying to formulate um, the new Iraqi government. She was uh, taking part in that. Um, and right around that time, she came up with this idea of this NGO, uh, the Seed Foundation, and the focus of it initially and for a long time and even now 
has been uh, very much women's uh, protection uh, because uh, around that time, you know, she because she was in Iraq, our executive director, she she was seeing what was happening with with the country. Uh, and she very quickly realized that with all the conflict and everything that was going on, uh, one of the biggest victims, like a group of uh, like the biggest victim um, were women, women and young girls. Uh, and that's unfortunately the case anywhere where there's a conflict. Uh, and so she decided that this NGO that she would form would be very much focused on ensuring protection of women, uh, reducing gender-based violence. Uh, one of the major things that the Seed Foundation has accomplished uh, in its time uh, in its in its time operating in Iraq is that they have pushed through multiple pieces of legislation uh, that protect minorities in Iraq. And one of the main ones is uh, to protect the Yazidi population, which if people listening to this podcast are familiar, was a population that was victimized heavily uh, by ISIS. Um, And so post that conflict, uh, there was a huge amount of Yazidis who were displaced, um, were suffering from, you know, various levels of trauma. And because of the work that the Seed Foundation did, uh, the government of Iraq uh, legislated this uh, this bill essentially called the Yazidi Protection Act, which allows for government resources to be allocated to specifically protecting these Yazidis who have been victimized by ISIS um, and get them the help they need. Uh, another major com- part of our uh, work in Iraq is the anti-trafficking program. Uh, so SEED has done a lot of work throughout Iraq to prevent uh, and help, uh, well, prevent trafficking and then help uh, victims of trafficking uh, by, you know, training police forces and recognizing how trafficking networks work, uh, assisting in uh, investigations of trafficking networks, assisting in uh, assistance of the victims uh, post, you know, uh, these networks breaking down and uh, the police basically rescuing these victims. Um, and then now with the project I'm working on, we are working to reduce gender-based violence in Northern Iraq. And also, uh, you know, part of that is to assist women who have been victimized uh, by the conflicts that have happened here. And then another very interesting component of the project is to quote unquote, transform masculinities. Uh, and that is that would mean to uh, essentially train young men and older men, uh, Iraqi men, to really basically rethink their sort of thought processes when it comes to women in the household and try to um, erase uh, a good amount of the gender inequalities that exist in society here, particularly. Um, so that's the project that we're doing. It's part of a larger uh, project, a larger uh, program that the U.S. government has started to stabilize Iraq post-ISIS. Um, so, yeah, so that's the work the Seed Foundation is doing and a little bit of what the work I'm doing within the organization. Wow. I mean, this this is deep and heavy work that, that, that is going on. And I, I'm so impressed that you, you've been able to kind of find a niche. I'm really curious, you know, so as a project manager, project managers can do a multitude of things across, you know, different industries. I'm curious, what does that role look like for you? So, yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, 
for me, uh, and it's different within any every organization. I mean, we, even within the humanitarian sector, a project manager working for, let's say, you know, the International Rescue Committee (IRC) mm-hmm. will maybe doing different tasks than I'm doing with Seed Foundation. Um, so my, you know, task, if I was to sort of uh, briefly summarize them, is to essentially oversee the project. Uh, we have a, we have uh, you know three major components of the project, and we have experts experts that are working in all three of the components. Uh, so, for example, one component is to provide legal services to individuals who need them uh, in uh, in our sort of targeted uh, population that we're assisting. So, we do have uh, local legal experts who are working with us who are employed by Seed Foundation for assisting in developing and setting up uh, processes to assist uh, this population. Um, and then my role, for example, in that for that component is to just do a lot of coordination work, make sure that you know things are happening at the right time, make sure all the budget budgetary processes processes are moving forward. Uh, if we're doing any sort of work that requires logistical um, assistance, make sure that I coordinate with the logistics department to ensure things are moving forward. Uh, so a lot of it day to day is just ensuring that the project is moving forward. Um, and that allows me to really sort of jump all around the project and sort of gain this broad based knowledge about this very large project um, mm-hmm. and also have a very centralized role in the implementation of it. So, um, for example, you know, a lot of times things just won't get done. Like I'm in every meeting even though I'm not an expert in whatever, let's say we're, you know, the gender uh, inequality stuff we're doing, the transforming masculinities, I'm not a gender expert by any means. Uh, but, you know, I'm sitting in all in all of those meetings uh, because otherwise, you know, the experts, yeah, great, they can come up with all these uh, plans and things that they want to do, but to really execute them on a, on the ground level, they need a project manager to sit there and make sure all the pieces are being coordinated at the right time and in the right place and things are just getting done. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically my, my task uh, in a nutshell. Um, I love that. And that leads me to another question, which, you know, if you, if you had to pick maybe like a handful of skills and these could be more technical or maybe they're more interpersonal, what, what are some top skills that are a must for the, the type of work that you're doing? Right. So I, I think it's a, it's like a very mixed bag of skills. Um, and I mean, I learned this too, that uh, they're not, I mean, they're not skills that you learn in a classroom per se. Um, like, for example, there's a lot of interpersonal skills that are required. I mean, the, you know, team building and networking, communication skills, conflict resolution skills, um, you know, and, and because I'm in Iraq, there's a whole universe of cultural knowledge and aptitude that needs to be present. Um, so, you know, and for that, you know, there's only one way to do that uh, is to, you know, go out into the world and sort of, you know, <laughs> interact with with other cultures and sort of, you know, develop those skills. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's a lot of these interpersonal skills, um, just basic sort of understanding of, you know, I guess human behavior, you know, making sure, uh, you know, if 
things are getting sort of slowed down, figuring out how to convince people, how to get things moving, uh, because everybody's busy, everybody's got a million tasks to do, but you know, I also need to have things move. So it's always this sort of, um, a lot of it's very much developing relationships, like developing these working relationships. So for example, even today, um, you know, we, we have some work that we need the finance unit to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I was chatting with my manager and sort of figuring out like, you know, how we can approach them, what can we do to get things moving? And she was, she told me that, you know, the best thing to do is just, you know, hang out with them, go, go and say hi to them when you're walking, when you see them in the hallway, see, say like, you know, just chat with them in during lunch and just sort of develop that personal relationship. Yeah. So when, you know, an email from you shows up in their inbox, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Shashank, you know, what is that guy we were chatting the other day? Let's just get let's just do his one, his one little thing. And, you know, so he can get, you know, on his way. So, you know, it's that sort of development of relationships. Um, and then, of course, there's technical thing, technical skills. One thing I would tell everybody is to learn Excel, just just learn it. Um, do whatever you need to do. Uh, just, you know, I think uh, because of the way technology has really spread throughout all the industries, um, these sort of technical computer skills are getting even more and more important as time goes on. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, any sort of like graduate level skills one can do, like I, I recall you sort of mentioned this earlier, like, you know, and I had this question, you know, graduate with a political science degree, what are you going to do in the world? Uh, what's the next step? Um, and I would say, yeah, just during the time you're doing your undergraduate degree, try to find um, what, whatever interests you, whatever drives your passion. I mean, political science is a huge area um, you know, from from elections to data science to international studies to, you know, whatever you, you yeah. can name. Um, and I think a key thing any student can do to really help their career um, post undergraduate is to really figure out through taking classes, through talking with professors, whatever, you know, other things they can do and just find what gets them excited. You know, what's that one book in the world of political science that you really just want to read that you'll read cover to cover? Um and won't get bored. Um, you know, for me, it was, you know, any international politics class that I could sign up for, I signed up for. Um, you know, I I wasn't ever planning to go to Latin America and do any work, but, you know, I took the Latin American studies class, Latin American politics class. But just because, you know, I had that, that really that passion to try to understand the world around me. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of it's just find that passion and then once you find it, things sort of start leading or you just start, you find that pathway and they, then you just sort of take that pathway. Um, you know, if you find your passion, then you, you can figure out what you want to do in graduate school. And then once you're in graduate school, then, you know, the doors start opening from I there. I love so. that. Yeah. And I love that you, 
what I hear you saying is you really kind of just started with a curiosity, like something that was interesting right. to you and that eventually kind of developed into a passion. So I love, I love that perspective of just starting where, where your interests already lay in. And I think that's a great place for students to be uh, looking into. So love that. Um, I also am really curious. So I'm sure with this type of work, there are some ultimate highs where you just say, wow, like I love the work that I do. It is so meaningful. And I'm sure there are also some times where you're like, this is so hard. So do you have any highs or lows that you want to share with us about this type of work? Yeah, this job? I, I mean, yeah, I, I have both. Uh, and I can, and you know, this is something that I constantly sort of think about, um, especially with the work that I'm doing. Um, so the highs are very easy. I mean, you very quickly realize the importance of the work, right? I mean, these are I mean, these are the things that we read about in the newspapers and we see on, you know, the news and we watch these things and we hear about them. And we always think that, oh, well, okay, that's happening. There are probably big, important people doing things. But of course, you know, undergraduate at Utah State University in Logan, Utah, I'm not going to get there. Um, So, so yeah, so the highs are, you know, even with, with the work that I'm doing right now, I mean, Every day I'm seeing these documents, you know, with the official, you know, State Department logo and with all these like people listed who are very important people in D.C. And so you see that, you know, this is a major sort of the the work that I'm doing is, you know, quote unquote, as cliche as it sounds, changing nations like this is this is the work that changes nations. Um, You know, if we're successful, I mean, we're talking about a country that can have you know, multitude has multitude of pathways in front of it. And if we're successful in the work we're doing, then there's going to be a pathway that the, that, you know, the nation of Iraq will take that hopefully down the road will lead to, you know, prosperity for every Iraqi um, versus a pathway, which, you know, there's, there's divisions and there's problems that exist and continue to exist. So, yeah. So once you, once those realizations show up, it's, it's very, it's very humbling uh, in that way. Um, but the sort of lows on, on this front are, I would say the, essentially the flip side of that, um, that especially with the work I'm doing now with the sort of, uh, gender-based violence, reduction of gender-based violence work, you really get to see in a very real way how terrible things are in the world. Um, and, and I think it takes a certain amount of, um, maturity, aptitude, whatever you want to call it, to really be able to, you know, immerse oneself into this work, um, because there's no other way to do it. I mean, you you have to immerse yourself. Otherwise, there's no there's no half hearted methodology that one can approach this work with. Um, so, yeah, it, it takes a certain amount of sort of internal uh, fortitude. Uh, to immerse oneself into this work and then, but not be personally affected by it. Um, and and that's been one of my sort of, you know, I guess a learning curve, a sort of uh, lessons learned sort of thing for myself personally. Uh, because, you know, before 2018, I had never experienced this sort of work. Uh, I had done some internship abroad, which took me to, you know, a Palestinian refugee camp or anything like that. So once I arrived in Iraq and really started seeing uh, the the issues and the problems that, uh, you know, we were dealing with, 
you know, there were moments where, you know, you start feeling completely at a loss that, you know, little old me can't handle, can't deal with such an immense problem. Um, but I think uh, that sort of repetitive, uh, those sort of repetitive emotions and a good amount of introspection, uh, a good amount of sort of spending time with oneself and really going through and understanding what the motivation is that's bringing me here or bringing anybody here um, helps sort of develop that maturity. Uh, and I think uh, the even the lows, I mean, you know, the highs are all obviously helping build confidence and maturity and all these great things. But I think the lows can also help in that way because they they really show that, okay, you know, this this is the worst this can be. So if you can handle the worst anything can be then you know then that's growth that's the growth that uh that uh you know this sort of world and this field really needs um i mean i don't think there will be anybody in the humanitarian sector that would want humanitarian aid professionals that are not confident in their own ability to handle some of these things um and that's one thing that i would also sort of you know, caution people about uh, who are wanting to step into a similar role, because I think one of the things that humanitarian aid um, does or the world does regarding humanitarian aid is that they show a very romanticized idea of it, that it's, you know, you're flying around the world, you're helping people. It's, it's a sort of like, you know, like you're the superhero without the cape uh, mindset. Um, and it's not I mean, it's not that grand. Um, uh, and, and even if it is, then there are a lot of days and nights where you are feeling quite down about things because you're seeing the world in a way that you've never seen it before. Um, so I think that sort of uh, like understanding that reality and having these thought processes before one steps in, before even one clicks the apply button to one of these positions or internships, like having a moment with oneself and really digging inside your own sort of mindset and being like, okay, look, can I really do this? Not because, you know, I, you know, I'll go and all my friends will think I'm this amazing individual who's going to, you know, change the change world. Change the world. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And not because of what my professors think or not because of what my parents think, but really can I step into this role? Because at the end of the day, when you're in, like for me, when I'm in Iraq or somebody's in Afghanistan or South Sudan or wherever, nobody else is there. None of your friends are there. None of your parents, like family, colleagues, nobody's there. All of that is back home. The only person there is you. And if you, the person can't handle it, then that's, that's the problem. Um, so I think that's something that uh, really I, I, you know, I would like the humanitarian aid field itself to really push forward uh, and and popularize. But, you know, until that day comes, I really want to you know push that idea forward and say, like, look, be definitely sure that you want to do this before you jump into jump into the role uh, in this field. I think that's great. And it, and it speaks to the importance of, of getting experiential learning, whether it's an internship or co-op or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that's a really good point that if you can get your toes wet first 
um, you'll have a better sense of if, if that's the type of work you want to go to. And that's true regardless of the field. So I really appreciate you sharing that advice. I so appreciate you sharing uh, the, the highs and the lows, helping us get a snapshot of what this kind of work looks like for you um, with, with Seed Foundation. I'm sad to say that we're just about out of time, but I would love to open it up um, if you had one piece of advice that you would give to uh, a current USU Humanities student, what would it be? Uh, well, so that would be find your passion. Like that, that would be my three word advice. Um, of course, students are going to study. Of course, they're going to get their grades. Of course, they're going to maintain their GPAs. Of course, they're going to have all these very well laid plans to do things. Um, but the whole secret of any successful career, I would say, lies in the simple fact of finding one's passion. Um, if you find your passion, the GPAs will come, the graduate degrees will come, the, the honor will come. Like everything that a student thinks about uh, achieving is at least in, that I've found in my personal experience depends on being passionate about it, about the topic. Um, because once you, once you have that passion, then everything becomes, then, yeah, then it becomes fun, right? Then it becomes then it doesn't become a task. Uh, if if I'm passionate about it, it's not that I have to find a job. It's that I'm really interested in finding a job because that's what gets me up in the morning. Like, you know, if if I'm passionate about something, then it's not like, oh, I now have to submit a graduate school application. I want to submit that application because I know that that's the next step that, you know, my passion is leading me to. Um, so, yeah, my my simple advice would be just find your passion. Find out what that. gets you excited. So yeah, I love that. What a great note to end on. Find out what what gets you excited, and and I love that through your work you've been able to de develop such a strong passion um, for for the work that you do. So Shashong, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day, um, despite the uh, probably um, not super convenient timing that you no, <laughs> are yeah, working no with. <laughs> yeah. But we so appreciate you, and, and thank you so much. We hope you loved this episode of the USU Career Studio podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends and family.